Hey everyone, my name is Francisco Escobar and welcome to Conversamos. As we continue our second season, focusing on La Familia and Latinidad, this episode is going to be on adopting indigenous children. Stay tuned as Latin Entertainment presents Conversamos. Before we announce our panel, we would like to promote this episode's Facebook page, Network of Bolivian Adoptees, with a mission to create a virtual space to share experiences in relation to Bolivia, adoption, and to connect with our other Bolivian adoptees. Join them at facebook.com slash groups slash Bolivian adoptees. That is facebook.com slash groups slash Bolivian adoptees. Now let me introduce you to our panel. We have Elena Soledad from Brooklyn Wami Designs and Atami Kawayu from Displaced Alteño. Thank you, you two for joining us. And with our first question, how would you describe your experience being adopted? So yeah, Elena, Tommy. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, so my experience growing up adopted, um, I, in adoption, there's like the word choices that we use to describe it. And I'm going to kind of dive in here and use a word that's kind of tricky, but I'm going to say I was lucky um, to have parents that um, exposed me to a lot of Peruvian culture. So I've known I was adopted since I was younger, um, since, since, since forever. And um, anything that had to do with Peru, uh, my parents wanted me to experience it. So in Queens, there's a big Peruvian community and any chance that they, anything happened out there, my parents would take me. Um, any TV shows, articles, as I was growing up, my parents would hand me the information. Um, so I grew up with that. Um, however, I did also at one point in my adoption uh, want to be white. <laughs> to fit in with the rest of my family. I did not want to be Peruvian. I always wanted to be Peruvian. I felt like nobody else I knew was Peruvian, but I wanted to be white because at the time that's what I was exposed to. And um, I guess I started navigating my indigeneity um, in middle school when, you know, I was able to kind of pick my own friends um, in elementary school, you know, the uh, my white parents were comfortable around other white parents. So those kids became my friends um, by our parents' way. But when I was able to make those decisions on my own, I did. And that's how I started navigating my way into my indigeneity um, and into, you know, who I am today and taking this journey. Um, yeah. Thank you, Lena. And I like how you have phrases where you're saying sharing how you would want to be white growing up um for me it was not necessarily i wanted to be white but i just and was white to like the traditional standards of growing up in a suburban area and i can say that because when i went to st john's university for college where i would meet latinos who would had that cultural upbringing um there was a clear difference of who we were our mannerisms 
uh, family stories, uh, backgrounds of like, what is music? How do we speak the language? How do we learn the language? And um, even recently, like this year, it was up to a point because I like to like talk about a lot of like political commentary about like decentralizing Angloness or, or Latinidad for that matter. One of my peers has shared like, um, you know, for someone who grew up in an Anglo household, you really know how to say F you to the white man. And, and my rage of, of hearing that because it's like we're supposed to be pals, we're supposed to be friends. I am saying, you know, for someone who didn't grow up in an Anglo white uh, Anglo household, you really know how to get effed by the white man. Now, as wrong as that may be, an emotion that have 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 I was at at that point, this whole navigating um, whiteness even within my own reality from growing up to even now in my adulthood has been um, pretty dramatic at points and impactful. Um, but luckily for me, through reading, through books, through mentors, throughout college and grad school. I'm getting to know a bit more who I am and how um, I embrace my ingenuity as, as you have shared as well. So Tommy, kind, kind of hearing from these two perspectives, um, just tell us how you have been growing up being adopted. Um, when I was a child, like my parents, they tried to make some interesting to know more about living culture. But like at that time I wasn't really interested. So. I remember we had like these gatherings of believe in adoptees when I was a child, but like, I don't know, like it was a bit weird for me because I didn't felt Bolivian. And um, like I saw these children like once a year. So I didn't really have, I did not really have like any close connection with to them, but that's something that changed because when I was like a teenager, you have like these questions like, who am I? What is my identity? Who do I look like? In Belgium, there are, no Bolivian, well, there are like very, very few Bolivian people. So most of the time people racialized me as Asian. And a lot of people thought actually I, I was coming from Asia um, up to the point that I was even questioning myself, like, hey, maybe one of my biological parents was maybe Asian because I don't know, I don't really know. And at the time I was also not really familiar with Bolivian people, the Bolivian community. And that's also why I returned back to Bolivia to also see, like, do these people look like me? Do, is there any resemblance? Um, and actually, after my first return trip to Bolivia, uh, how I looked at adoption changed a lot because I was more thinking about, like, Bolivian's history, the oppression of indigenous people. I was also seeing that I was looking more like indigenous people in Bolivia. I want to say, like, I could relate more to them because their experience being Indigenous in Bolivia is, of course, different than being indigenous or indigenous roots uh, while growing up in Europe. But still, like, um, and that's also why I try to explore more about my identity, about my indigenous roots. Um, but also, I started to, I started to think more critically about adoption. And I even had like a point that I really didn't want to be adopted, and um, that I wanted to learn more from Bolivia because I also felt like an alien to Bolivia because I didn't know the language. I didn't know like nothing about culture, politics or history. And I remember when um, I met people who traveled to Bolivia, like white people, they often knew more about Bolivia than I did. And I don't know, like it felt like not right for me. So that's also why I started to learn more up to the point that, yeah, that, that I tried to immerse myself really in Bolivia. Um, I definitely understand, um, you know, 
I think this the comment you made of is different to be indigenous and living in your home country than indigenous and living out of your home country. Um, that experience is different. And um, my parent, like my parents here, would um, I wouldn't say they were like exposed me too much as I got older because when I became a teenager, I was kind of pushing back, you know. Um, but they definitely would allow me to see that side of it. They're like, you know, you're here in New York and you're not there in Peru. So your experience is going to be different. And that was the buildup for when I went, when I first went down um, in like 2006 um, to like how I would be treated down there would be different than I'd be treated up here. And so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that. I didn't, um, I didn't meet any Peruvian adoptees up here until 2005. And actually I had never met another Peruvian until 2000, 2005. Um, and here in New York, they kind of had this, you know, I could only be three things. I could either be Puerto Rican, Dominican or Mexican. And I was always classified as just Mexican and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, I'm Peruvian like, <laughs> Um, and it was like, nobody had ever heard of Peru. So I would kind of also shy away from that. Like, oh, like nobody hears about it. You know, why, why would I say that I am? So I kind of just, and I never identified as um, Latina either. Um, saying that I was Latina was very weird for me. Um, so yeah, I've always just said indigenous um, or Peruvian. I never identified with like the Latinx community. And again, these are conversations I would have with my parents um, a lot or with like friends. I had two friends who were adopted as well. Uh, one from Guatemala who looks similar to me, brown skin, um, long black hair. And then I had another adoptee from, from Colombia who is a white, uh, uh, a white Colombian. And yeah, so we, yeah, that was my <laughs> community with adoption at that point first of all um i could really relate to what you said like elena about like identifying or not identifying as latina because i remember when i was like also more like searching into my own identity um when i was thinking about the identity of latino or just using the word and um a lot of people don't see me as latino because they have like this image of a latino who is like colombian or uh Chilean and it's like a bit more white tall and they don't look at me like Latino and are like you're not Latino or like they kind of believe like I'm from South America as they don't really know like uh, are not familiar with the people in like the Indian part of South America um, and I think for me uh, when I returned for the second time in 2015 and when I discovered I um, was born in the city of El Alto um, I think that was the whole beginning point for me to really identify more as Aymara to, um, and to, to learn more about like uh, Aymara costumes, culture, tradition. Um, as that is for me, like the only thing I have uh, that is like some leads towards my biological family in Bolivia. Um, and I think also like, when learning more about the history of El Alto, I was also more proud that like, it's like a city of like uh, resistance. Um, a lot of activism happens in El Alto. 
Uh, and the city is just very big, like it's, it's almost it's even bigger than La Paz. So there are a lot of things happening in El Alto. And um, after 2015, I started to go more and more to El Alto. I got more friends from El Alto. And um, I think uh, in my whole journey, I also got to know better, like what does it mean to be this or that? And what does it mean to be that within being part of the diaspora? Um, I was fortunate enough to go to Bolivia when I was in 2010, so I must have been like 16 or 15. And then I went again last summer, um, not last summer, the summer before, last year before COVID. And like just this being in my home country, it, it just felt so, one, the air just smells different. Like that whole environment is just, I feel like it's not only just pure, it just, it just felt, it just feels right, you know? Um, and it's just being, just walking the streets, seeing everybody. Uh, I was just very one shell shocked, but also I just felt like at a very natural, calm state. Maybe that just was Bolivia and La Paz, or maybe just like my own like inclination. But it, it was just very nice to see, um, you know, the land I, I, I was born in rather than grew up in. Um, and so for like Elena, you shared you had went to Peru. What was your time, your first time going to Peru and how would you describe that experience? Um, so my first time was going in 2006. Um, I had found my birth family in 2005 and I went on a volunteer program um, with, my with my parents. And the reason being is because I feel like they were scared that um, if something didn't go right, at least we went for like a good cause. Um, although now I don't super believe in volunteering because I think it's also traumatizing for the kids. Um, but that's a whole nother subject. Um, <laughs> the first time going, I think it was a super eye opener. Um, I didn't, I wouldn't say I cried when I met my birth family. Um, because it was kind of like meeting strangers, you know. Uh, my sister was crying. It turns out I have a sister. I have uh, two older brothers and a younger brother down there. Um, I have another brother who was adopted um, to Washington, um, but he got adopted at 18 months old. Like, so literally um, as he was being adopted, I was being born. Um, so it, it didn't feel real, um, especially not in Lima. Lima is very city-like and, um, I want to take this time to say that what we see in mainstream media about Peru is not the same as the Andes. Um, so like the dishes, like for instance, like I knew Peru as like Lomo Saltado, Ceviche, and you know, like kind of the dishes people serve um, in restaurants these days. But my parents took me to Puno, to um, Paracas, to Huancayo, everywhere. Um, and it let me see that there's Andean food and like mainstream Peruvian food that kind of are different. So my experience was very all over the place, I guess is kind of why, what I got from it. Um, but definitely this past year, I'll say um, in 2019, going there and living in Puno for the time that I was with my family. Um, I think it was the first time I ever felt calm. You know, it was the first time I felt like I could breathe. 
even though we were like super high up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, meeting them for the first time wasn't what I wanted it to be. Um, but I guess that's what we build on, you know? Thank you for that, Elena. Um, for our next question, um, Atami, what have you gained from being an adopted child and what may have you lost or never received? It's a good and a very tough question. What have I gained? Um, maybe I'll start with what I lost. Um, I, I think I lost many things while being adopted because I lost in some way the connection with my ancestral family, my community, my culture, language, um, almost everything. And I think when I started thinking more about that, about what I lost, like, um, it was very hard for me at the time because I had to, to, to digest it and to search for a way, like, how could I overcome this? Um, I um, think that also why I was, like, returning and returning and returning and learning more. Um, but on the other hand, I think there is also another side of, like, adoption. And, and I think this whole experience of being adopted, I think I have gained, like, um, um, well, first of all, Adoption is a very global movement. And at this time, I'm like with a lot of people connected throughout, like in every part of the world, like United States, Australia, Europe. Um, I think that's one thing. I think second, um, well, my sister, for example, she's, uh, she's an adoptee from China. And um, I think that was also like, very interesting experiences because she experiences it's very different to be an Asian adoptee. Um, I've learned a lot through her about like Asian culture, Chinese culture. And uh, I, I think that like lastly, um, I think I have tried to be very active within the adoptee community um, in Belgium and also like um, more for Bolivian adoptees as well. And um, I've learned a lot, like, uh, it has taught me a lot of skills of, like, organizing, like, writing. Um, it gave me some space to, yeah, to think about and um, to develop, like, other uh, capacities. So, yeah. Completely agree. I, we lost a lot, you know. Um, we lost that ability to connect and to kind of even create a community um, for me in New York was hard because again, I never, you know, I didn't really have a community to be in that was rooted in indigeneity. Um, what I've gained is perspective. Um, what I've gained in all honesty is privilege. That's the biggest gain. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I say that in the sense of understanding the privilege I have with ha what comes with having a white family and understanding that the boundaries that I don't, I still don't feel comfortable crossing. Um, and that privilege isn't always a great thing. It can really confuse you at times when you're trying to speak to somebody who is also indigenous and doesn't have the same privilege as you do. Um, and 
it comes with a lot of guilt. That privilege comes with so much guilt. Um, even to know that I can go to Peru and come back whenever I want to, not whenever I want to, but you know, like the, the schematics behind it, um, that's a privilege. And, you know, I don't take it lightly. Um, I do fight for indigenous rights. Um, might not be so vocal. I'm trying to get better at being vocal about it, but um, I do fight for indigenous rights. And it's hard to, it, it leaves you kind of in the middle um, between feeling guilty and feeling like I have this privilege to possibly help somebody else. I'm not saying like, you know, I'm rich or anything, but yeah. I hope that made sense. Go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, um, totally agree. It's like a bittersweet present. And I had like many conversations with uh, Bolivians, like Bolivians who grew up in Bolivia, uh, studied in Belgium or elsewhere, and had like many discussions with them because they always said like, but why are you so, uh, I don't know, disappointed or angry because you, you had like your European life, you have like health insurance, you have all these things, all these privileges. And in some way that's maybe true, but um, now when people tell me that, I react that, well, I don't really see them, well, maybe there are privileges, but I also see them as a compensation for the things I've lost. Because when I see it as a compensation, like it, it, it feels a bit different, you know? Because I'm also sometimes thinking like, well, you could also have like my life, but you have to give up like your family. You cannot speak your language anymore. You cannot connect. You cannot go back whenever you want. And I think not many people would do that for the privileges we gained actually. Yeah, and I was just like, Ed, there's, there's so much that is preventing our own ingenuity, even just by, like, e adoption aside, right? Just, even if we say, for example, we are in Bolivia, right? There, there's so many things that would prevent us to even embrace our mind and our Incan roots just by being in Bolivia. We may know Spanish, but that's the language of the conquistadors. We may have, um, and, and so, like, one of the things I like to share that I've gained, like, of course, like, a, a strong family presence um, of, like, 30 members, 20-plus members or so, like, something big like that. Just, like, a, a, a very well education. Um, and when I want to do these service trips, none of my friends who are, like, these socialists or, like, these um, very, you know, for the people movement, they, ba they barely donated. But my family who, you know, would put 100 here or there would help me finance so I can then go do my work in Panama and in Chile and whoever else so that I can, you know, fulfill the mission that I feel like I have accustomed to be pursuing. Um, and so that's something I feel like I've, I've gained, but also just as much as like in the education realm, I would probably not have learned as much um, about my own genetic the way I am doing if I didn't have a formal education that to back it up. Um, but with that said, though, it may not have, I don't think it's as authentic as it could have been. I don't think it's like it, and through an experience of, of it, like it, it, could, it could have. But those are things I'm like constantly working on as I continuously move on. But yeah, there is a lot of sense of guilt. Um, there's never really a, a positive conversation that comes out with, unless I'm talking to like YouTube, for example, it's like, yeah, I'm adopted. Yeah, I have white parents. It usually ends up being like, do I trust this person in front of me now? does this person 
really believe what he's believing or is just like a show? Is this just for the clout, right? And, and there's that barrier that the second I say that, it, it's the, this line that just create, get, creates division, even with my own people, whether they're um, descendants of Manan or whether they're Latino or Latinidad, there's, there's just like that clear um, line. So I just wanna hear like what are your thoughts on that? So I think there's this big conception, misconception that when you become adopted, you become like rich or you become it. And you are like, oh my God, you have this great life. You must, you know, have everything you could desire. And that's not the case. Um, and not all adoptees get um, to, and I'm gonna, they don't get the life that everybody thinks, you know, households do come with abuse. Um, you genuinely don't know who your kid is going to, you know, um, even though like for my adoption, they had to go through like, I think two years of paperwork before they could even adopt me. And so I think there's that big conception of, or misconception of like, when you get adopted, everything is great. And it's not the case, but also like, I just wanna, for, for me, I, I think it was different because I know a lot of adoptees get adopted into more um, white communities, white spaces, rural areas. And although my family is white, I did grow up in the city. I grew up in Brooklyn. My experience is of the city. Um, so I was, I was engaged with other cultures and everything in between. Um, so I didn't just see white people, even though it was a bubble that my parents kind of kept me in and they sheltered me a little bit. Um, when I was old enough, I was able to explore how I wanted to explore. Um, I was able to be around who I wanted to be around. And that's really where it navigated um, towards. So not every experience, every adoptee has the same experience. So, but mine was definitely rooted in the city. And I don't think I would have it any other way. And especially like when you're interested in like exploring more like your indigenous identity or when you're like, um, when you're like more like with Bolivian people in the States or either in Bolivia, like in the beginning, like I really felt like very insecure because I was afraid that people would look at me like as a fake Bolivian because indeed like we have like white parents, we have been raised uh, yeah, in a very European or yeah, Western way. Um, and I think also like a lot of people probably also look at us like this, but what I really think is interesting about this conversation we have is that the three of us, we go beyond this. Uh, we go beyond being this adoptee who eats saltenas and who dances maybe a bit, but I have the feeling that um, there are adoptees who really uh, learn about their history learn about the oppression, learn even like indigenous languages or learn um, about the current politics. And when I, I think it's like only in the last years I felt more secure about this, when I could more relate and more talk to with other Bolivian diasporic people who are not adopted. And when they talk about certain persons, okay, I maybe still have to learn. But on the other hand, not everything is new for me because um, I have learned a lot throughout the years and I'm very happy with um, this process I made myself. And I'm also like through Instagram, 
very happy to see that other adoptees are also on this journey and uh, that they're also like going beyond this superficial way of reconnecting with their country of origin. Um, I love that um, because I do see a lot more adoptees um, diving into their indigeneity, you know. Uh, for me, I am currently learning Quechua to speak. Um, my birth mother's first language is Quechua. Um, so I, you know, I talk to her a lot and we connect on that level. But I also want to point out, like, although a lot of adoptees, I think we do love trying to, you know, get back to our roots, like figure out who we are. I also kind of sometimes wonder if we're romanticizing um, our countries. Um, I do know some adoptees who have gone back and were like, oh, this is where I'm from. Like, I thought it was going to be something different, you know, like all these, you know, I thought I was just going to see people like me. And it's just like, no, there's tons of other um, what types of Peruvians, you know, like we have Afro-Peruvian, Andean, everybody. So I also think that people, um, like some adoptees romanticize their country. And I worry that sometimes if they romanticize it so much and it falls short of their expectation, um, how, how, would that make, how that would make them feel, you know? Um, especially if you come from like such a sheltered life and all you see are like the positive things about Peru and, or Bolivia and, or anywhere in Latin America, um, you know, I, I worry that people who are super sheltered can't really grasp um, the country in and of itself, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think that's super interesting. And actually, like, um, I think also a lot of adoptees, like, sometimes feel the pressure, like, to be, like, what is it to feel like Peruvian or Bolivian? And then they try to mimic some kind of idea what they think is Peruvian or Bolivian. And actually, to be honest, like, when I'm in Belgium, for me, all the things that are Bolivian or like um, like my mate, for example, I try to drink that every day because it's like something small I can have in my life in Belgium because all the rest of the things I do are Belgian. But like while living here in Bolivia, I've learned that um, I don't have actually that pressure anymore. I don't really feel the pressure to do this or to do that, um, even though when I do it, it's more because of interest. But um, it's not that I eat like every day, like, typically Bolivian food or something. I think I eat, I drink more mate de coca, for example, in Belgium than here in Bolivia. Um, I definitely romanticize about my home country. I definitely romanticize about, I definitely am guilty of all that, but that's because it's like, I don't know. It's like, even, even if I was compare like where I grew up and like what I see in Bolivia, it's just like completely different. It's, it's, it definitely is beautiful. Like there's nothing more calm than when I went to, um, like what was it Isla del Sol and Isla de Luna and just the amount of peace and calmness and like nothing in the world although like the world is born burning it doesn't even feel like that I feel like I can just meditate in peace and it's just like I don't think I, I can't really find that anywhere and, and such and just having that ancestral tie having a uh untied with mother nature in such a manner it's it's like I don't know, I feel it's just on par with me and everything and definitely what I want to go back and again and again. Go ahead, Lena. <laughs> Sorry, so I'm going to just kind of go back. I don't mean romanticizing and like, um, like you've fallen in love with that at all. I mean romanticizing in the sense of maybe as some adoptees who haven't gone back, 
you know, and they don't, they're not up on politics or like, they're like, I don't want to go to the mountains. I want to stay in like the Sheraton hotel or for the entire time of my trip. Like they don't understand the experience, you know, like a lot of us um, who have found our, our families um, like myself, I don't, you know, again, this is also like a nature versus nurture type of complex. Um, my parents are not those type of parents. They're like, oh, we're staying at a hotel. No, my dad was like, we're going to go stay like with the host family. Like you have to get the entire experience. Otherwise, what's the point of going? So again, a tricky word in adoption is lucky, but I, I, I don't know another word to describe it. Um, but my father was conscious of the, the decisions he made on that first trip. So that way I could get the full experience. And then the year after I went by myself on the same, um, with the same program again, um, it was how my parents felt safe to send me down. <laughs> and they told me not to go into the town where my birth family was living <laughs> because they were like, it's super dangerous over there. <laughs> but I went and I, I stayed there because I felt like that's really what I needed is to understand more of my adoption and more understand um, where I come from and what my life might've been like. Again, that does come with super guilt, you know? Um, and so a lot of privilege because I can just leave the area if I want to. Um, but when I say romanticize, I mean, not like maybe adoptees who haven't gone back to their home country and they just see the positive of it, the beauty of it. And that's beautiful, but it doesn't always work the way that they envision it. Because um, for my family, I didn't really, we did, we cooked saltanias when I was in high school and I think we celebrated says that goes maybe like once ever. Right. And it was just like one of those things is, is like, um looking back now is though looking forward now it's like something that i have to do upon myself that i have to do the one celebrating and finding my bolivian peers in new york which i personally have and you know i'm dancing caporales which is very nice yeah i fractured my ankle as well within that experience but um it's just yeah it's, it's really up to me with like me embracing it i'm sure if i wanted to know about beatles rock and roll rolling stones i can go to my parents with that type of stuff but also if i want to know about real estate if i want to know about banking if i want to know about you know financial literacy and such um but so as a culturally i can't necessarily depend on any of my parents or family members um for that because they're not part of that culture they didn't really grow up with it and doesn't seem like to be an interest and so, Tommy, I want you to really uh, answer this. Like, how's the nature versus nurture from your parents um, in relation to your oblivionness and also your ingenuity? And I think it's very interesting when I compare it with my sister. Like, me and my adoptive mom, like, we have, like, in some way, like, a very similar personality. So that really helped me, like, throughout, like, my, my, my teenage years. And even until now, we have like a very, very good relationship because we really understand each other. I think um, nature versus nurture. Um, I don't really know. Like I'm, I'm trained as a sociologist, so I was learned more that like things are more you're socialized with this or with that, and um, I, I think that's also the question that I have. Like when I meet for when I will maybe meet in the future my birth parents here in Bolivia, like, 
what did I inherit it from them? What is really from them? Is there any resemblance? Is it not? Um, but in some way, like when I think, when I put like the sociology aside from me, then I sometimes think like I'm very active and I really have like um, in Belgium, like I have been really active within this adoption landscape, like uh, doing politics and everything. And then when also knowing that um, I come from Malalto, then I think maybe that's something I have like gained from my parents, or I don't know, like from my ancestors that are also from Malalto, from the communities uh, that have probably uh, uh, have also fought many battles. And I think that's something like that's really present inside of me. I really feel that. Yeah. Exactly um, what you said. Um, my the parents definitely have raised me to be my own person. Um, but again, like, I've, and I do want to make this very clear because I, I do know a lot of adoptees get adopted into more wider spaces and, um, or not like cities, like New York City, you know? Um, and my parents were just very out there. My dad is a native New Yorker. Um, my mom is from Ohio, but <laughs> I think that the personality I have now so much resembles um, my birth mother. Um, so when we met, it was a little awkward because I like, you know, they're, they are emotional people um, and I love it. And I'm a very emotional person, um, but I... Don't, I don't see a difference between us. When I talk to her, it's like talking to myself. We are literally on the same vibe. I joke with her. Um, I laugh with her. Every, most of us have the same laugh. So it's really beautiful when I go down and I just see them or when we're on the phone and there's like six of us on FaceTime. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's super beautiful. All right, so moving on to our next question. How would you describe your, um, how would you describe the social political conversations that you have with your family, especially in today's political environment? My parents are very open-minded. My dad is uh, not very talkative. My mom, she's really talkative and she really likes to learn a lot. So ever since uh, when I started to study like uh, social sciences, I always discussed with her like um, things I've learned during uh, the course. Um, and she was always open for it. So I remember that uh, when I was learning more about racialization, racism, racism in education and everything, uh, I really talked and, and discussed this topic with her. And even though like sometimes or maybe for some topics she needed more time to, uh, to think about it, but um, she eventually understood. And I'm very happy to say that she really supports like my um, political views or uh, yeah, my political views upon adoption or from like other things that are happening in the world. So we're really like on the same side upon that. Um, I think also more because um, uh, she really trusts like uh, me, but also my sister, who is also like uh, on the same political side, I would say. Okay, so for my adopted family, <laughs> um, like my white parents, um, they're very open um, just as well as a Tommy. Like they're very open. Um, so we don't really have, we're all kind of on the same side, although they would say I'm a little more like 
you know, I guess they kind of stop at liberal, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm much more than that. I maybe, I don't know. But um, in Peru, it, my brother is in the Marines. And, um, but he is very open. He and I have had like um, some political discussions and he's super open. I think the Marines for him is really just like a steady job. Um, and it gave him opportunity. Um, my sister's uh, husband in Peru is a police officer. So we have some differences there, but um, for the most part, like my sisters, my brothers, my birth mother, all, and I all kind of have the same ideas um, and beliefs in terms of politics. <laughs> Thank you. For, thank you for sharing. And and on my on my side of the uh, family, um, well, let's see. Um, yeah, very 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 liberal upbringing, especially on, on my mother's end. And for my father, it's I mean he he's fairly left of socialist, um, for in terms of political views of such. Um, however, when like when we talk about ingenuity, and it's it's a little different from what my perspective is being on Pachamama versus like maybe someone who just views it as socialism as such and creating that uh, dividend. Um, and then to a broader, which at 2016, I was like so angry at this, finding out my parents, my family members, uh, political views for my aunts and uncles. Cause I was like, wait, you're a conservative. Wait, you're like in this realm of Republicanism that like, <laughs> I, for the past like six years, I've been like being very upset about, like learning about. <laughs> and, um, but I, I definitely gained a lot of insight of, of like what conservatism is, why they would can be considered conservatives or Republicans. And, and as, as much as those disagreements there and here, um, it's definitely very fruitful conversations that I do appreciate. So when I go into um, conversations with other Republicans who I, um, there aren't family members, I'm a little just a bit more prepared because chances are I already know what you're talking about. And, I, and like, so um, a lot of pros and cons there, but like at this point, it's like, I mean, I, I'm down like changing their political views or um, maybe just exposure to some ingenuity here or there, you know, but there's definitely been some rough conversations uh, amongst the past like six or seven years. Well, I think the context is a bit different between like United States and the political system in Belgium because you have like more than just like a conservative and liberal. Liberal, um, I think also like people change more uh, from political party because of their discourses they're performing. And I remember, for example, that uh, when I was like 18 years old, and when I was like really new into like I had to vote like the next year, for example. Um, I was learning more about like uh, the political parties, etc. Um, I had discovered that my mother had voted for this right-wing party because of the discourse. And um, at that time in Belgium, the party was like super popular. Um, a lot of people voted for the party, but there were actually like um, the party was actually their political views were in advantage of uh, minorities, people of color. And uh, when I explained like why this party uh, would be in my advantage, a citizen like, with like a migration background who gets racialized, she really understood it. And 
she never voted them for them again. So then she was more voting for the Green Party because uh, she knew like, okay, these, parting, these parties are more like um, in the benefit of my children. Um, so yeah, they were always like very open to talk about it. Sorry, real quick. I think that's something super important is um, I think for adoptive parents, like prospective adoptive parents, I think it's super important to understand that you are not raising a white child. You are raising a brown child or a child from a different race, ethnicity, um, identity, culture, everything. And you, it is their responsibility to understand that their decisions will affect um, their child. Yes, I am adopted. Yes, I have privilege due to my white family. But when I walk about the house, nobody, the world does not see me and say, let me not target her. Her family's white. No, they don't say that. I am seen as an indigenous woman moving through this world, navigating through this world. Um, and I've been in circumstances where I have not been protected. And I think it is the duty of my family, of my parents, to make sure that when they vote or their views come back and reflect who they have raised. So. All right. So for our last two questions, what messages do you have for future adopted children? Your voice matters. Um, your skin is beautiful. Find community. Go back home if you are able to see your home country and it might change you and process that change. Um, you know, you're just loved and there's always community to find. Uh, for me, I would just share that you, you want a tur tourist if you're going to your native country. Um, you... The, the embracement of the you're looking for is within, is within and continuing to do right and let the rest will follow. Um, being an adopted child, you're going to go through some trials and tribulations, not just with identity, not just with society, not just with family, not just with your peers, um, but more importantly, your, your, yourself and the circumstances you go through, whether it's where your workspace or school whatever the case may be, but you definitely got to just make the best of it um, because you're here for a reason. So our next question, what messages do you have for future um, parents who would like to be adopted, who would like to adopt? Uh, do your research. Um, don't just go into this saying you want a child um, from another country and not do your research. Um, I think that is more harmful to the potential child you could be adopting um, and don't shelter them from who they are. You know, uh, it is not the same as bringing up a white child, um, especially not here in America. It is not the same. Make sure that you go into this with an open heart, um, an open mind, and really take the time to understand who you are first and what you believe in first and how what you believe in eventually will trickle down to your child who does not look like you, who will not experience life the same way as you, um, who will experience love, relationships, friendships differently than maybe you thought. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like do your research. I think it's super important for the parents that, um, well, they not just read like one or few books, but that they really are in contact with adoptees and that they're just open uh, for what adoptees have to say, like uh, that they 
can understand, like they don't really have to agree with, but they have to understand and respect. And I think most importantly is that their love isn't conditional. And I think what would help me like in my whole journey was that my parents always emphasized in any possible way that whatever would happen, they would never let me go. And it would always be there for me. And I think that is also what made uh, that we have like such a strong bond. And, and, and even though like whatever that might happen, I know that they will always be there for me. And I think uh, especially as an adoptee, that's important. Don't, don't come into being a parent, especially being an adopted parent, act, um, pursuing it as like some type of white savior complex. Uh, all people do not need a savior. Um, anything we just need to be empowered on our own merit. The, the next thing is don't adopt your children um, as puppets for your politics. Um, as it's like, we're not here for show. If you're really about like helping um, marginalized people on marginalized communities, don't just stop at adopting children, continue looking in the community that you live in, particularly if it's affluent white, as they do need a lot of working within themselves and deconstructing their own whiteness and affluence. And then lastly, um, you know, know that you're, you're, being, you're adopting someone who has generations behind them and build upon that. With that said, that is all the time that we have. Thank you all for joining us. And for everyone at home, make sure you like the video, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also comment below, how has your experience with adoption been, whether as a child or parent? Then follow us on all our social media outlets at Latin Entertainment underscore presents. That is Latin Entertainment underscore presents. Also, you can listen to us on our various podcast platforms that vary from Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts, just to name a few. Lastly, our next and final episode of this It All Starts at Home season is going to be on the winter holidays and Latinidad. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time as Latin Entertainment presents Conversamos. Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, taking it back for the platform that I form. Who's you chopping to transform? I run the reservoir, the predator, like a hungry carnivore. When I'm breaking through these heavy doors, this is desert storm. A metaphor to show I'm equipped and informed. I'm striking with the mega force, I'm lukewarm. You're